0: And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove is somewhere in England. He is not with me today. Presumably, he is sipping tea and disliking Europe because that's the English way now. That's just how it works. Uh, So since he obviously wouldn't want to talk about uh, continental things, I spent about an hour asking questions to Manuel Faith, uh, a contributor to Forbes, Pro Soccer USA, many other publications. I'm specifically saying that I asked him questions instead of I chatted with because Manuel's knowledge is insane and his knowledge of German soccer is extra insane. So I basically just sat back and let him explain all of the many, many things. Uh, So he explained how Bayern had been so dominant for so long, but also why maybe they've fallen off this season, why coaches from the Red Bull system are so in demand, why the hiring of Jürgen Klinsmann at Hertha could be excellent, but maybe also disastrous. Time will tell. Plus, there's lots of praise for Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna, many, many other clubs discussed. Those are just a few, in fact, of the many things we get into. Um, So I will leave it there in my uh, rambling introduction and instead say joining me on the line i've got a new friend to the show whom we met in germany it's manuel feit uh, spelled v-e-t-h if you want to follow him on twitter uh, he's german football expert who contributes to forbes pro soccer usa amongst other outlets manuel thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today
1: well, thank you for having me on, Taylor.
0: Yeah, it's, it's nice to, to get to chat with you again. We, we had a good time in uh, Frankfurt and Dusseldorf, uh, even though I know you're not the biggest fan of Dusseldorf, but uh, you, you put up with their press box, which I did appreciate. <laughs>
1: I'm a fan of the club and the people that run it. I'm not a fan of the food.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I, I've thought about you many times since then because, like, uh, for MLS Cup, Seattle really splurged. Seattle have a Starbucks in their press box, which mm-hmm. is pretty impressive. And I, I thought of you the entire time and how unhappy we all were with the the stuffed pepper made of questionable materials. It was
1: supposed to be meat, I think. <laughs>
0: Um, Well, aside from your dietary uh, thoughts and contributions I did want to talk uh, German football with you Because it has been a strange season in my mind I'm wondering if that is the case for you Is this one of the strangest Bundesliga seasons you've covered in recent memory? Um,
1: It's definitely, I would say, the strangest season I've covered Mm -hmm. But not the strangest season I've experienced Growing up as a kid, this was quite normal, I would say um, that we had. You mean, do you mean the balance? They had balance yeah, the balance, the balance of power. I mean, I almost would. We we never had the seven year run. Um, that Bayern had before in the history of the Bundesliga It never existed. Right, no team before the seven year run, won it more than three times in a row. Right, and um, I think the closest club that actually came to that kind of dominance were Gladbach in the seventies. They won five out of ten. Um, so they're the closest that we had to this. But when I was a kid, this this was normal. And, you know, even going before that Bayern run with the, the seven titles in a row, that would have been really normal as well. So I actually would almost say it's a return to normalcy. But I've only been covering the league as a professional for mm. about three, three and a half years, right? So it's the first time I get, I get to experience it as a journalist.
0: Well, I, I give you all the credit for that. But w- why do you think it was that Byron were able to establish that run? I'm sure many, many books and many, many articles have been yeah. written about this. And I'm asking you for like a massive topic that you could just explain in like one or two minutes. But w- what was the sort of catalyst that allowed Byron to establish that dominance?
1: I think they just picked up all the right pieces at the right time. I have to remember you know, around the time that they picked up Ribery and Robin, right? Mm-hmm. Seems like a lifetime ago now. So that's that was 2000. They picked up Ribery, I believe, in 2007, and then Robin in 2009, and that really made things come together. Um, you know, three years later, they they had that run to the Champions League final. Four years later, they won it. Um, I think the first year that Robin was there, they were also in the Champions League final. They lost it to Inter Milan. So that was their first run. That was under Louis van Gaal. They never been a club that spends a lot of money on players you know they are germany's richest club by far but we all have to remember the financial constraints um, of being a membership club means they can only spend what they earn and in that regard they can't just go out and fix mistakes like other clubs can um, in other leagues right they can't just go oh well we picked up a piece here that doesn't quite fit um well how are we gonna fix that we can't just go and spend another 50 to 60 million euros on another player because we have to earn that money first, right? So I think what they really, they were really fortunate that they were able to get Ribery um, on a very good deal. They were get, able to get Robben for almost nothing because Real Madrid didn't want to have him anymore, right? Then they had, um, in Louis van Gaal, they had someone that brought up Thomas Müller, um, really established a culture of how they want to play um, their football. So a very, you know, clear, possession style of football that really worked in their favor and that was cultivated by the coaches that followed so your Pep Guardiola and I think they just had a very good generation of players built around Robin and Ribéry and then Müller of course who came up from the Youth Academy, David Alaba who also came up from the Youth Academy um, and then as well as Manuel Neuer that they also got in a relative good deal and I think it was just all the right pieces and they all fitted together and they were just so far ahead of everyone and able to keep those pieces together too because they're so they're they're not rich enough to fix mistakes but they're rich enough to fend off bits from other clubs right they're not a sellers club by any means i think they're like barcelona and real madrid they're probably the only three club amongst the only three clubs on top of the food chain once they have a player they can keep hold on them so they were really able to build on that and i think it's a generation, once-in-a-generation once, once in a generation thing. They just were able to get a good core of players together and had the right coaches. And, of course, they made a lot of good decisions along the way.
0: And they had Jopankis, they had Louis van Gaal, they had Pep Guardiola... And they had Nico Kovac, not quite as smooth. Yeah. Uh, now they have uh, Hansi Flick. Uh, Bayern lost this past weekend 2-1 to one, uh, to Leverkusen in, I'm going to say, an absolutely ridiculous match. It was like, what, like they had like 26 shots, three posts, mm-hmm. hit. It was a strong game. But that's the first defeat under Flick uh, since he took over prior to that. Uh, two no-win over Olympiacos, four no-win over Dortmund, four no-win over Dusseldorf, six no-win over Red Star. So a big turnaround there, even with this loss. What were sort of the keys to Hansi Flick getting it right, or was Niko Kovac just getting it that wrong.
1: Yeah, we were there together when Mm -hmm. things went really wrong for Kovac, right? And we chatted quite a bit um, at the time. Uh, I want to maintain that I still think that Kovac is an excellent coach. Mm -hmm. I, I think he was just the wrong man for the job because his football philosophy is not compatible with the football philosophy that was established all the way back by Louis van Gaal. It's not a possession-based game. It worked really well in Frankfurt because it was all about the counter-attack, hard-working football, um, three in the back. You know, almost. Uh, all, I, I compared Frankfurt at the time and, and they were under Niko Kovac a lot with Atletico Madrid. Okay. It, you know, it's a very. It's not a Bayern style of football. It, it's a good, successful style of football if you have the right players in the right club and the right mentality. You're Niko Kovac. You're walking into this dressing room that has won, at the time he walks in, six titles in a row. You've just beaten them in the German Cup final. Um, You know, playing that style of football that is completely the opposite of what Bayern is. And you're basically telling all these figures, Robin, Ribéry, Neuer, Um, Boateng, all these guys. So so from now on, we're going to play a different brand of football. It it just doesn't work. So you really saw saw that over the time. What what rescued him is that epic collapse that Dortmund had last year, right? That really rescued him. Dortmund basically handed him the title. But you could really see, and we we saw that at that game that we were at, it's just that the football philosophy Mm -hmm. just did not fit. So when Flick comes in, Flick is... A someone who's played for Bayern. That's very important. Um, you know, to understand the mentality, the dressing room. He's he's been he's worked with Oli Hournus because that was during the time that Oli Hournus was um in charge, so still the management, so the sporting director role. And um, of course, he also played under Jupinke, right? So that is an important factor. And the other important factor is that he was the assistant coach to Joachim Löw, mm-hmm. the the head coach of the national mm-hmm. team. And the the football philosophy under Hansi Flick and Joachim Löw, and I'm, I'm using both as one term here almost, is that they played possession-style football and made the German national team very, very successful for a very long time, right? And I think that that philosophy just fit Bayern very well as well. So he knows the players already from the national team. He knows how Bayern operate because he played for them. He knows how your pink is football is like because he played for him as well he's worked with Joachim Löw um i think it's just in that regard the philosophy that he actually has is is a very good fit and i think Bayern when they signed him as the assistant to Nico Kovac this summer almost had a mind okay well if things go wrong with Nico Kovac then we can fall back on him and we have someone who can take over at least for a bit so that was very good succession planning i think and i think it's worked out quite well And then when we were, um, we were at a game in Frankfurt, we, you guys moved on, right? And I went to the Champions League game, um, on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, Wednesday when, when Bayern played, um, against Olympiakos. And there was a lot, a lot of players spoke, um, out on, on Hansi Flick, on how the little things that he's already doing. And a lot of them just said that they, he just spent a lot of time talking to them almost, Telling them to rely on their their strengths and the the things that they know best. Um, I then went to the press conference on Friday to to, to speak to Hansi Flick as well. And it was the same thing. He was very calm. He's like saying, we have to rely on our strengths. You just have to stabilize the squad. This is a good team with good players. You know, we don't want to put too many tactical restraints on them and just basically let them play the way they used to play. So in other words, the way they played before Kovac, right? And then you got that same sense at the Klassiker. Um, they demolished a Dortmund side that I think basically took themselves out in that game. I watched that game and Dortmund uh, disappeared. Um, they, they shrunk to nothingness in that match, uh, unlike Bayern this weekend, right? But uh, again, Bayern really believed in, in their strengths. And I think Hansi Flick basically walked into the dressing room and said, like, look, you guys know how to play football. You guys have played successful football under the previous coaches. Let's just go back to that, go back to the fundamentals and use use the talent available to the side, to the best strengths. And I think he's, he's basically done very basic things to fix it.
0: And do you think there's a chance then that he gets the job permanently with the turnaround we've seen and with the changes he's made? Or do you think Byron will go maybe in a different direction, specifically in the direction of Mauricio Pochettino?
1: I don't think Mauricio Pochettino is a good fit for this club. Um, the, it's the same reason Niko Kovac wasn't a good fit for this club. It's the He's a big name, right? Um, mm-hmm. He's someone that a lot of clubs will want to sign. I, I, there was rumors today Manchester United are really keen, right? I don't mm-hmm. think he would be a good fit there either, by the way. But um, it's a totally completely different story because it's, it's the same three in the back, five in midfield, a big emphasis on running, a big emphasis on pressing, right? It's not Louis Van Hal football at all. And, um, I don't think it's, we're going to have, we're basically going to have the same issues that we had with Kovac, only with a bigger name coach. And I think that's the Bayern bosses know that, um, deep down. So that's why I don't think there has been that much of mm-hmm. rumblings towards that direction. Now, what I mean, so Flick, It's, it's very much dependent on the results. I think the bosses really enjoy working with him when you talk, when you hear what Rummenigge said, for example, that they want to sit down with him on December 21st. So that's after their last game against Wolfsburg. Um, They want to sit down and talk to him about his future. I think that he has a very good chance based on what we've seen. And I'm including the Leverkusen game in this because they were absolutely dominant in that game and I think should have won it. Um, Then, you know, he's done a lot of things right. The bottom line, though, at Bayern is how are they going to do in the league? I think that if they don't necessarily need to win it for him to keep it, but are they going to be thereabouts? And even more important, and this is, I think, the the thing that has always been the most important thing for Bayern is how are they going to do in the Champions League? Mm -hmm. Now, if he goes around in the round of 16 against one of the teams that finished second because there's quite a lot of the we've got a lot of good teams that finish second, right? Um, then that's I think going to be problematic for him. So I think he needs a deep run in the Champions League as well as a title push. I think if he loses the title on the last day of the season, and that's quite possible the way things are going, mm. I still think he might be in the running for it. Also because I can't see anyone on the market who could be better than him. It's
0: that, make, that makes a lot of sense, because I hadn't really thought about it from the perspective of what Kovac did is sort of what Pochettino would want to do. So you're right, then, that it makes a lot more sense to go with somebody who's sort of has a better understanding of the system or their system better fits the players and the kind of Bayern philosophy. So that's really interesting. But if he were to take it down to the final day, if Bayern, maybe they win, maybe they lose on the final day, who do you think they would be sort of challenging for the title at that point? Uh, currently, it's Gladbach on top. Uh, do you expect them to be there at the very end? Or is it another team that you kind of think it could be Bayern and this team coming down to the wire?
1: That's a very difficult question Mm -hmm. at the moment because it's so hard to predict, which is nice. Um, I think that Gladbach play fantastic football. I'm actually writing um, an article as we speak on on Gladbach and the things that they have done right um, for Forbes. and. Um, it really, you know, it comes down for me to two to factors that they've spent very wisely on, on bringing in more attacking players. Um, one of them on mm-hmm. Mbolo and the other one Turam, right? That a lot of, especially Turam was, um, was on the radar of a lot of clubs. But then Marco Rosa, the coach is, um, a lot of play, a lot of clubs in the summer. I spoke to Lutz Fannenstiel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted him, um, really wanted him. You know, he, he had offers from, all the major clubs in Germany um, so that he then chose Gladbach is, is quite a coup for them to get him because he is a fantastic coach the work that he's done in Salzburg um, it speaks for itself right to get a club from Austria into the Champions League to get a club from Austria deep into the Europa League remember they were one controversial decision away from making the final two years ago mm-hmm. um, in the Europa League I think that's that speaks for itself and you can see that brand of football um at Gladbach the the question that I have is and you see that with all the Red Bull type football clubs um because there's many now and there's many coaches that have come out of that system and we have in the Bundesliga have quite a few coaches that that you know work in with that kind of football style of football is it it wastes a lot of player material and there's a lot of injuries um because it's a very hard style to play it's a very high pressing style of play it's a style where attacking players constantly have to move change positions the mid there's a lot of pressure on the midfield and even if defense um, you need a big squad leipzig have that big squad for that very reason because it's a very very um running in- intensive style and Gladbach, you see that um in the Europa League they played Wolfsberger AC, not to be confused with Wolfsburg, mm-hmm. the Austrian side, right? And um they, they won at game one 0 and they should have won it by more, but you can see that they already um that they're already struggling a lot with the, the 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 amount of matches that they have to play. And I think that is the one thing that when you look at Gladbach is that are they going to have the legs to continue this run? Um, especially if they go deep in the Europa League, which I expect they will now. And um, I think this week for them was really important to have that off because they're playing Bayern next week, right? And I think that's really where we're going to see how far Gladbach can go. If they beat Bayern on Saturday in the true Classica, then I think they're a serious title candidate. And I think, that's, I think that is going to be for them the real test to see how far they can go this season.
0: Much, much more still to come from my conversation with Manuel Faith. But first, I wanted to talk to you about today's sponsor, our friends at Manscaped. They're the number one company in men's below the belt grooming. They offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Uh, we are going to be talking RB Leipzig on today's show. That'd be Russing ball sport, aka lawn ball sport. Uh, if you want to keep your lawn uh, as well maintained as RB Leipzig's field, then you could use the lawnmower 2.0, which has proprietary skin safe technology so the trimmer won't nick or snag. It will keep everything uniform, much like a soccer field. I'm not sure if that's the analogy I want to draw, but it makes sense in terms of uh, well-manicured areas. So let's go with that. Um, They also have uh, many other products like the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. Uh, So if you're prone to chafing, especially if you're playing soccer or any sort of sport, uh, you've got the moisturizer, the Crop Preserver, to to keep things, again, nice and smooth and comfortable. Uh, And best of all, uh, Manscaped is offering 20% off and free shipping if you use the code TSS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TSS. Thank you very, very much to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode. A link uh, to that offer will be in the show notes. But for now, let's get back to Manuel uh, talking all things Bundesliga and German soccer in general. Why do you call it the the true uh classiker? I know like the Dortmund Bayern one is a bit more of a modern incarnation. Is that mm-hmm. sort of representative of the historical successes of the teams?
1: Yes, yeah, so Bayern Gladbach was the Klassiker. Um the word classiker in German is actually used quite a lot. That's
0: we <laughs> So there's we lots used... of
1: classicers. <laughs> yeah, so there's the Nord-Süd Klassiker between Bayern and Hamburg. Um there's the Südwest Klassiker between Bayern and Stuttgart, right? Um that that was terms that we used quite frequently um when when those teams were still good. <laughs> when I was a kid, those teams were still good. <laughs> I know people really listening to so Hamburg and Stuttgart aren't their Bundesliga two sides. Yeah, but those those are big clubs. Um, they just happen to be in Bundesliga two. Think Aston Villa kind of mm. size club, okay. right? Um, they're massive clubs with massive followings and big cities, and should be doing a lot better. So, we use that word "classic."er Bayern Gladbach was the classic in the '70s because those two teams won the most titles. And I'm not just talking in Germany; I'm talking in Europe. Right? They they won the Gladbach won the Euro, uh, the UEFA Cup, the predecessor of the Europa League, and Bayern won the the uh, European Cup, the predecessor of the Champions League, three times. And then Gladbach won the German championship five times and Bayern won it three times in that span. So that was where the term "classica" came from. Now, when Dortmund sort of emerged as Bayern's new enemy in the late 90s, because they weren't that big of a club before that, right? Um, they they sort of like have the same history as Manchester that didn't really emerge until the 90s either, right? As a very big club under uh, Alex Ferguson. They sort of needed a term to for this rivalry that didn't really exist before. So they just basically used the term klassiker that already existed to describe Bayern against Gladbach and then put it on this because that was Bayern's new big challenger. Um, so that's why a lot of times we say, okay, well, the true klassiker is actually Bayern against Gladbach because historically speaking, that was the big rivalry.
0: So um I'm looking forward to Gladbach-Bayern uh, for sure. Uh, but I also wanted to talk for a moment about uh, RB Leipzig. You mentioned that they've got... Uh, A lot of squad depth there. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann in charge, but not from the like RB factory. So has he sort of kept that style of play, the intense, pressing, lots of running system? Has he sort of incorporated that into his philosophy? Is that a philosophy he already had? And if so, is that partially to explain why Leipzig have had uh, a consistent number of injuries this season?
1: You're right. He doesn't come from the Red Bull football factory. His youth playing career was at 1860 Munich, right? And then picked up an injury, a career-ending injury really early. Um, Eventually ended up at Hoffenheim, where Ralf Rangnick established the the football philosophy at that club. So Rangnick, then of course, when he he left um, Hoffenheim, he eventually ended up at Red Bull and i'm saying red bull not rasenball because red bull <laughs> the the football company right yeah. um and established the football philosophy that all the clubs are supposed to play um and i'm talking salzburg new york um leipzig um the the club that they now own in brazil mm-hmm. uh, and the the football school that they had in africa um so th- th- there was a clear um understanding that when Leipzig sign Nagelsmann, they're getting someone who understands the football that that they want to play. That you know the Red Bull style of football, and yes, he doesn't come from the Red Bull factory, but he is someone who very much fits that fits that philosophy. So I definitely think that um, when Rangnick identified his own successor because he coached there last year quite successfully, um, they were quite clear that they wanted Nagelsmann because a he could continue on what Rangnick had established there but also more importantly right Um, playing with three in the back for example Mm. um, being very tactically flexible demanding a very high work rate being very demanding on the um, on the players and and what he asks from the players Uh, he's the most complicated coach to work for um, when you go when, when you listen to players and talking about him he's the most complicated coach to work for in German football, maybe in European football, because he never runs a training session more than once. Like He always comes up with a completely new training plan every single day. And that's very demanding. Wow. Um, but it's also something the players really enjoy. How does um, he sleep? Someone,
0: How does he have time I know, for that?
1: It's, it's insane. I, 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 I just the, the amount of work that goes into it in detail, I think is hard to comprehend. But Tyler, that's why he's such a good coach. hmm
0: well, right. I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I guess, is there a risk of like burnout there? Because it does feel like with those types of coaches we hear about, like, like uh, the one that comes to mind, I'm not equating them at all. It's like Gary Monk when he was with Swansea. It was like, oh, he's got all these innovative ideas. All he does is work and work and work. And then he burns out and they kind of fall off. Do you expect that same thing with Nagelsmann? Or thus far, has he been able to sort of sustain that model?
1: He's very young. I mean, this is true. I assume he's younger than you and me. Um, <laughs> I think he is. Yeah, I think we're about the same age, right? So oh he's definitely he's younger than me. Um, you know, he's he's been working in the Bundesliga now for a good four years. Um, he Bundesliga coach when he was twenty eight, which is incredible. Champions League when he's twenty nine. I, I mean, that's just I I don't know. I was definitely not coaching in the Champions League when I was twenty nine. Yeah, it to took tell me, I was <laughs> like thirty
0: four to manage in the Champions League. <laughs>
1: yeah, on football manager, yeah, of course. But, <laughs> but i mean that's incredible but i think that that actually plays in the, into his hands as well because at a younger age you you are you better capable of work putting in a higher work rate right mm. um and i think it also makes him it makes him easier for him to work with those players because they're basically on the same level um mm. that's a flat hierarchy they see him as a boss but he's almost like one of them um And you you hear from players that they love working with him. I mean, Timo Werner basically stayed in Leipzig because Nagelsmann came in, right? And I wouldn't even, I I think there's now a really good chance that maybe he could even stay. You hear rumblings of Erling Haaland um, possibly preferring a move to Leipzig over the Premier League as his next step. And that's because of him, right? Mm -hmm. Because players hear what he does and he makes players better. Um, Newcastle United played 55 million pounds for Jolin. You know, um, a lot of people will ask why. Well, it's because he was fantastic under Nagelsmann because he made that player better. Was he is, he is he that good? No, he's not because he was a good player because he played for Nagelsmann, right? He gets more out of the squad than there is in it. And I think that makes Leipzig the most dangerous side for Bayern, not just this year, but for years to come. Because as long as he's there and every year, remember, the only thing that holds them back financially is financial fair play. But every year that they play in the Champions League, they can push that financial fair play bar a little bit further, right? More funds will be able to freed up. So every year they play in the Champions League, they can spend more on retaining players in their own side. They can spend more on bringing in other players. So, you know, the the only thing that limits them is UEFA regulations because unlike other clubs, they actually stick to UEFA regulations and I think that is that is what makes them very dangerous. As long as Nagelsmann can can bring them into the Champions League, they will come a step closer and closer to Bayern financially as well. And they have in my opinion right now the deeper squad and maybe even the better squad.
0: Hmm. Um, one player in that squad, uh, Tyler Adams, Nagelsmann confirmed that he's back in training. Uh, from what you've heard, from what you understand, how long do you think until we see Tyler Adams on the field? Do you expect him to kind of jump back into the starting 11 or will we, he be like sort of a squad player until he proves that he can fit the Nagelsmann system?
1: I think I I personally I can't wait to see him play again. I think he is one of the best midfielders in transition midfielders in the Bundesliga um, I, I got to see him quite a lot last year and I personally was blown away because you know I covered the the, the white caps over here on the west coast right so I seen him playing MLS and first time I saw him here he was about 18 it was in a CONCACAF Champions League game I, I watched him and I was like this kid is really good Um, there was actually two both future Bundesliga stars in that field that day it was Alfonso Davies and Tyler Adams and I was like, Tyler Adams, he's going to be over there soon. And he, he was. I think within one year, he was at Leipzig. And then I saw him in his first game over in Germany. I made the trip over. And I saw him play there. And then I saw him play against Stuttgart. Um, and I was mesmerized. It, it was incredible. It, he, he went from MLS to the Bundesliga. And it was almost like he n- never had to make that step it it was amazing to see it because he made that entire midfield better, right? Leipzig didn't start losing games until he went out with an injury in that second half of the season. And from my understanding, is it was actually quite a, a complicated injury. He he then rushed back to play the German Cup final. I went to the German Cup final. I saw the German Cup final. I thought he was actually quite good, but he was obviously not fit enough to play the full 90 minutes. And then he missed the um, Goal Cup, right, mm-hmm. with the injury. Um, and what we learned now it actually was a very complicated core injury um they had to basically he had to see a specialist that they have in in Salzburg or rather outside of Salzburg um, where the, the Red Bull headquarters are and to work with him on stabilizing his core um I think that while he mentally and Technically and tactically, was ready to make that step from the from MLS to Bundesliga. Maybe it was just a bit too much for his body, mm-hmm. right? It's a big step. I mean, the game yeah. is a lot faster, um, and I think he he also didn't have much of a break because the MLS season ended and he was over there, and then he went and played right away, ninety minutes there, and ninety minutes over there, right, and traveled with the team, and um, that's that's a lot. To demand of from a very young player but i think um and i think the when you when you lead, read between the lines what comes out of leipzig they can't wait to have him back in that side because i think he's very very important i think nagelsmann sees him as a key piece
0: I didn't think it was possible to be more excited about Tyler Adams than I already am, but you have somehow done that. So well done to you on your Tyler Adams hype. I appreciate that. Where uh, are you? One of
1: my favorite players.
0: <laughs> that, that 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 probably helps a little bit. Where are you on Weston McKinney Then uh, I'm assuming maybe not quite as as high in, in your estimations, but I'm wondering if you have uh, some thoughts on him.
1: I wonder almost if we underappreciate Weston McKinney a little bit because you know he never had to make that jump from MLS.
0: Yeah. Because he comes from right. like the Dallas Academy, doesn't have that yeah. sort of like. Oh, he played a season with FC Dallas. Then he makes the jump, so it's sort of his like youngster. You almost think yeah. of him as like coming through the ranks as opposed to being signed.
1: And he grew up in Germany as well, right? He uh, oh, yeah. on, a military, I on a military. forget base. that.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's so for right. him, it was
1: almost like, of course, he's going to be able to do it mm-hmm. because he's like pretty much a local kid. Um, but really, he's he's such an important player in that team, and Schalke a third. And Mm -hmm. we almost, I I, I know what you mean, we almost forget that West McKinney exists at times, but um, he plays a key role in a side that's doing very well this year, and he's been around now for four
0: years, Right. He, when you say he has, I, I want to jump in really fast because I'm I'm interested to in hear you say that he plays a key role because one of my concerns with him has been that I haven't seen him play a consistent role for Schalke that sometimes it's here, sometimes it's there. Yeah. Um, is that the role that he sort of can fill in wherever need be, or has he started to solidify one like uh, position more than others?
1: Well, I think they see him in central midfield. Gotcha the the problem is that um because he is so versatile because he was a running back I think in his youth for football right okay. and that would make um, sense. super athletic very athletic player and um very fast i think they played him at striker at one point yes. but the problem is that schalke they're third right now under david wagner and that again highlights what a good coach wagner is because no one expected schalke to do that well we all thought they would do better than last year mm-hmm. but no one would thought no one thought that they might could return um, challenge for a Champions League spot the i think they're slightly punching above their weight because wagner utilizes the players in his squad um with trying to fill holes that still obviously exist one of them is a number nine they don't you know, Guido Burgstahler was a very good number nine two and a half years ago in the Bundesliga. He's definitely dropped off quite a bit. Benito Rahman, who wears the number nine for them, um, is more of an attacking winger. He played the number nine role on, um, on Friday against Union, um, but he's not a striker. Um, they had to play Weston McKinney in that role, and he's definitely not a striker. Uh, no so disrespect. Much, no. <laughs> <laughs> he holds the ball up very well, right? But that's that, that's because he's a midfielder. So, I think a lot of players right now have to play out of the squad plan. There were so many mistakes made in squad planning under Heidel. Um, the last two years that they they definitely you know they kind of have to make do with the things that they have, and they're lucky that in, in certain areas they have very talented players they can play various roles. Mm-hmm. Um, when you read between the lines, a friend of mine who worked with at Forbes, um, Chris Williams he interviewed um, Jochen Schneider, the the sporting director of, uh, for an article that came out on Forbes, and but when you read between the lines, you can sort of sense that they want to sign a striker. Um, and I assume they will probably bring in one or two other players as well. And that would then help to move Mc- McKinney to the role that he should be playing. He should be a holding midfielder. Right?
0: Do you expect like, those signatures to happen in January or is that more likely yeah. in the summer? I,
1: I think number nine will come in in January. Okay. Uh, and the, the, they you know, uh, they were very coy about it <laughs> um, from what I've heard to do. To, to, Admit that because, of course, you don't want to openly say, oh, we're in the mark for number nine because <laughs> you yeah. all know what happens. Please but, charge uh, me more money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one name that's been they've been linked with quite heavily uh, is Gabriel Barbosa from mm-hmm. Flamengo. Um, and, you know, they bring someone like in him, him in and they, they, they become from a surprising number three to a club that could maybe hold that position until the end of the season.
0: That would be fascinating because he he flamed out so spectacularly in Italy, but then you wonder if it was too too much too soon or if it didn't quite fit the system. Inter obviously were in a state of flux themselves at that point. I think that was the Frank De Boer season, so make of that what you will. So that'd be really fascinating, especially with what you mentioned about David Wagner being such a strong coach. With that in mind, I, I have this sort of strange question. If David Wagner were in charge of Borussia Dortmund, do you think they are second in the table or at least higher up the table than where they are right now?
1: Oh, that's such a, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, Dortmund have been so strange as as a club this mm-hmm. year. And um, I'm personally a f- big fan of Lucien Favre, actually. I always have been, even in his time at Gladbach and before that at Hertha as well, where, you know, they came close to win the title at one point under him. And then he has that second year where he, his sides always drop off a little bit um and i really hope for him that he can sort things out at dortmund i i think that that second half performance against hertha was was very very good by dortmund um this weekend and i i i think when you when you see the reactions by the players by the coaching staff um there was a lot of rumors that things are broken between the players and the coaches um i don't don't think that's actually true um you know, just because compare that game and the, the Bayern game where Boateng was sent off and the Bayern just fell apart, right? That didn't happen for Dortmund, quite the opposite. Now, to answer your question, um, I think there's a lot of Jurgen Klopp in David Wagner and, and the way he handles his players, the, the way he motivates them, the the way he leads them. And I think that he he comes from Borussia Dortmund he he ran the the second team right before he went to Huddersfield and I think that he could be an excellent fit there Um Unfortunately, now that he's at Schalke, I don't think we'll ever see it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it seems unlikely. Um, but like, I want to talk a little bit more about Fava for a moment, because there was much speculation slash outright stating that Jaden Sancho was no longer happy at Dortmund last week. Uh, there were reports that he was feeling scapegoated, that he wasn't, he wasn't feeling a lot of love from Dortmund, Lucien Fava in particular. Others suggested he was heading to Liverpool. Uh, but then, to your point, this weekend he scores. He plays, uh, like, what, 91 minutes, I think – Subbed out at the very very end for maybe to kill off some time. Like so, it seems like maybe he is still okay to continue under Lucien Favre at Dortmund. Or do you expect him to to get a move sometime soon?
1: That's what well, we all know that Jaden Sancho is um, a player that half the Premier League wants. Yeah. and You know that, and I think that is where he's going to end up simply because of his nationality. Although I did hear. Some rumors that he himself actually prefers a move to Spain.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, this, you know, you never know how true these things are. People and players say things all the time, um, but that's from his camp. He he prefers the style of football played in Spain over England, and I think he might actually fit that style better too. To be quite honest, um, because German football is quite physical. But we have a lot more tactical and tactical elements than the Premier League has that is still very much running based, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, especially against the lower sides, he he would struggle quite a bit. Um, You know, they would just simply destroy his game. And in Spain, that wouldn't be the case. Uh, So I I could see why he thinks that. Now for a January move, look, Dortmund are five points away from Gladbach. Bayern and Gladbach are playing uh, each other next week. They will take points off each other. I assume that Dortmund will win um, the, the rest of the games that they have quite handily. Um, I looked at the schedule; it it looks easy. They have Düsseldorf, um, then they have Mainz, um, and then they see out. Uh, then they have Leipzig, which is just a tough game, right? And then they have Hoffenheim um, before the winter break. I think they can close close that gap. Um, if they really wanted to, and they have it in their own hands because one of the teams that's in front of them is Leipzig. If they are still in that title race, which I assume there will be because a lot of clubs will be still in the title race going into the winter break. And in the winter break, everything gets reshuffled. You can sign players, you can go on a training camp for 10 days. You know, It makes a huge difference. I find it hard to think that Dortmund would sell one of the players that could potentially get them back into the title race and maybe win it.
0: So basically, if they like pick up one point or three points or something from these remaining four games before the break, then maybe it's more likely. But if they're still in the title race, then you fully expect him to, to stay there at least until the summer.
1: Look, they beat, if they beat Leipzig, uh-huh. then they're within one point of
0: Leipzig. Yeah, there you go. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it is it's the strange thing about the table right now. is like if you look at Dortmund and you just look at their place in the table, they're fifth and you're like, well, that's not where they were supposed to be. But then you look at the table itself and you're like, well, they're actually what? Uh, I think you just said it, but five points off of uh, points the top spot. Yeah, so it's, like, it's not yeah. quite a uh, disaster of a season. But I, I do want to talk then about that winter camp for a moment because um, – I forget what year it was, but it was that winter break many years ago that uh, uh, Christian Pulisic was brought along. He got some friendly minutes there. It seemed like he impressed enough that then he started to get a few minutes in the second half of the season, and that kind of launches the start of him becoming a a fixture for Dortmund. Is there a chance that we see that for a player like, say, just as an example, like Gio Reyna, maybe, who's still uh, very young but is impressing with the uh, the Dortmund U19s, I believe it is. Do you think there's a chance we see him start getting senior minutes this season? or similar to what you've already talked about with the title race, if they're really contesting that title, if they're trying to stay in the top four, then maybe they're less focused on bringing through young players?
1: Or alternatively, they are still in the title race, but they get an offer to sell Jaden Sancho, let's okay. say, for 150 million euros, and they're like, wow, well, let's sell him because we got Gio Reyna ready in the in the, in the youth, and he's ready. He's so ready to make that ready. step. Ooh, that made me excited. Um... <laughs> I can only go by what I heard in August Mm -hmm. because I was there and I I spoke to one of the youth coordinators in Dortmund and look, they're very excited about him. Um, they, the fact that they were able to land him is a big deal. They, what was his exact words? Um, we beat all the big clubs in Europe to his signature and there isn't many players in his youth category in the world that are better. Um, I think they know what they have, and we know that Dortmund like to launch careers of of youth players um, early on, right? I think he's already training with the first team um, at times, and um, that winter camp. If look, if he makes a good impression, Jaden Sancho was seventeen when he when he launched his career. Uh, Usman Dembele, very young as well. If they think that he can come in and get that same youthful enthusiasm that uh, previous young players had. They will be like, okay, well, let's take those, like take the money for Zancho, watch us play Rainer. He, he will do the same job for us. Um, well, we'll reinvest that money next summer. Um, you know, that could happen. I'm not saying it will happen, but I, I it, it wouldn't shock me. Um, let's say it that way.
0: Hey everyone, Taylor jumping in one last time to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Roughneck Scarves. That's R U-F-F-N-E-C-K Scarves.com. They are the official scarf providers for US soccer, for Major League Soccer for the NCAA and for the USL. Uh, they also have a boatload of international national team scarves. Um so if you want to get prepared for the upcoming Euros, uh they've got the big teams, they've got Germany, they've got France, they've got the Hope Holland scarf. But The smaller teams, they've still got you covered. There's a Finland scarf. There you go. If Romania make it, they've got you covered. There's a Romania scarf. If Belarus make it, they've got you covered. There's a Belarus scarf. If North Macedonia makes it, they've sort of got you covered in that they have a Macedonia scarf, and I can't really blame Roughneck for a country changing its name. They've even got a Wales scarf uh, with half of it written in Welsh. They do not have a a golf option on there for Gareth Bale, but you could utilize the custom scarf feature to create a custom Wales Wales, Golf Madrid scarf to represent Wales, to cheer for Wales in the upcoming Euros. But as I said, they've got every, pretty much every team that will be competing in the Euros, as well as many, 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 many other national teams. Uh, and then all your MLS scarves, NCAA, USL, US soccer, plenty to choose from there. Uh, and you can get 20% off any scarf in the shop, uh, with the exception of custom scarves. But any other shop, you can get 20% off with the promo code TOTALSOCCERSHOW, all one word, all together, Show for 20% off any scarf in the Roughneck shop. Uh, So thank you very much to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring today's episode. Now, back to my conversation one more time with Manuel Faith. All right. Well, we've talked about three, uh, potential future legends, uh, for the U.S. national team. Let's talk about an obvious legend. Just kidding. Let's talk Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, Dortmund <laughs> got that win over Hertha this past weekend. One thing Daryl and I have not really had the time to talk about yet is the fact that Jurgen Klinsmann is managing Hertha Berlin, uh, Hertha BSC, excuse me. Uh, what do you make of that signing of him coming on board and what are your expectations for him at Hertha? They're currently in the, I believe, relegation playoff spot. Uh, do you think they stay there or do you think he, Uh, has them rocketing up the table in short order.
1: So this is Hertha's most important season since the foundation of the club because they had Lars Wintors come in um, in the summer as an investor, um, and he paid €100 million for 29.9% and then increased that investment to 49.9% with another €100 And I think there was an option for another 50 million. So he put in 250 million euros into this club. Um, relegation would cost the club straight up. And I'm going by the uh, going by the numbers that relegation cost Stuttgart last year. Um, another club, by the way, that had a big investor come in and then got relegated. Mm-hmm. Um, it cost Stuttgart about 40 million euros to go down the Bundesliga to Bundesliga it's, 2. It's expensive, right? Yeah. Um, for them on the eve of having this massive investor come in and then get relegated it it would be a disaster because you know they want to become a big city club that's the words of the investor he actually said this in english yeah he had to supposed to become a big city club and i mean the the capital is in dire need of a big city club even though union is doing really well this year right um the Given the investments made, the player signed, Dodi-Loki for example, um, I think th- it's very important for them to stay in the league. And Kleinsman was bu- supposed to become a member of the advisory board to the club. He was supposed to be Lars Windhorst's appointment. Uh, so he was in Berlin already, um, just for a short visit. He is closed for four days. Um, and then under Kovic, it turned out it just... It, it wasn't the right fit for the club anymore and they fired him and they brought in Kleinsmann. Now Kleinsmann is not a head coach in the traditional German you know German style of head coaches, head coaches in Germany. I
0: feel coach. like you're picking your words very carefully right now.
1: Yeah, um sporting <laughs> directors manage um Kleinsmann is the head of a project. Mm-hmm. Um, he's hired Alexander Nuri, as an assistant, Nuri was, an, was a head coach. Was the head coach of Werder Bremen. Marcus Feldhahn, uh also as an assistant, a former Hertha legend. Um, Marvin Friedrich, um, you know, who played for Germany, um, long time for Germany under Klinsmann as well, um, and left the club not in the best conditions. But he's also a former Hertha legend, right? So when he brought him back. Finally uh, managed to you know fix that relationship between the club and Friedrich. Um, Andreas Köpke, the goalkeeper coach of the German national team, he's on loan um, from the DFB. So he, he's assembled a big squad of of coaches to help him. Um, and then he's bringing in a couple of fitness coaches. So very similar to what he did in, in Germany when he took over in 2004, he reassembled the entire coaching team. And... Um, Klinsmann is not really a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, He's a project leader. He comes in and oversees a project, and it either goes very well or uh, it doesn't quite fit the philosophy already in place. Like it was the case at Bayern or towards the end of his U.S. career, I think actually the U.S. made some very big steps under Klinsmann in the beginning and killed that off. And I personally still think they would have qualified for the World Cup if they had had hung out managed it with Klinsmann in one way or another. I think his problem was that as a project manager, his ideas clash too often with MLS or rather the body that manages all the rights for MLS some, right? Um, I think that was where most of the problems lie because he wanted his players to play in Europe. Um, And MLS of course wanted the best players to play in MLS. Um, And, I think the scheduling there was a lot a lot of issues that just it's just in the end the philosophies just did not fit, especially because he's he's a builder he oversees projects um and that's that's how you have to see him now at Hertha. I think it's great that they're thinking big. Um, because he's a big name, he's a Bundesliga legend, he's a World Cup winner, um, he's a European Championship winner, he won the German title with Bayern, he won the UEFA Cup with Bayern, he he held the record for the most goals scored in a European season when he won the UEFA Cup. He's a legend, he's a big name, right? Um, the The question is, it's a lot of change all at once in the middle of a season, and I think they played really well against Dortmund, but they will have to get those results really quick. Um, otherwise, that project is going to be criticized very fast.
0: but uh, so it could be criticized, but is this the type of hire though where because it basically sounds like I, I am obviously not a big fan of Klinsman as a coach. I hadn't really thought about it in terms of him coming in as like a project director, and it does seem like that is where his strongest skill set lies. So almost I wonder if like this is us like him being put in a position that best suits his skills. And then maybe with that in mind, I guess it leads me to wonder, is this a sort of then long-term thing that even if they were to get relegated, even if there is a lot of attention about like, oh, you bring in Klinsman and it doesn't turn around, like do you think they'll still stick with him because it's part of a project and the expectation would be that they come right back up? Or if it goes poorly and they're relegated, or at least in that relegation playoff, do you think they sort of bail at the end of the season and uh, bid him adieu?
1: Um, no, I think that they this this is an interim solution. Okay, They... Really want to sign Niko Kovac um, at the end of the of the season, um, and I think Niko Kovac would be an excellent fit for this club. Niko Kovac is Berlin born and raised as well, right? So that would be someone who who knows the city and knows Hertha as a club as well as played there, and I think that would be a very sensible choice because you know Kovac could do what he did at, Her- at Eintracht Frankfurt, where he was very successful he could establish his playing philosophy um, and play the sort of football that he wants to play and there wouldn't be much opposition to it because, you know, um, unlike Bayern, the dressing room is not filled with egos and, you know, the players all are ready and willing to be formed and ready and willing to play that kind of style of football. Um, so I think that would actually be a perfect fit and that's I think that that's what they're really hoping for, that Klinsmann will rescue them until, you know, and then stay on board um, as the club on the advisory role, mm-hmm. which I think you're quite right. I think that is a perfect fit for him. I think he is a team manager. He's not a coach. Um, and I think that that's a mistake that he himself has made in his career. But, you know, um, people are identifying his role also have made. Um, he's definitely someone who, who builds things. Um, and I think that's, he he knows this.
0: That's, so that I think, is really interesting. Wow. All right. I, I had not thought about I, it like that. And, and, you're, and, and to their goal, if you have Niko Kovac as your manager, Jürgen Klinsmann is like your technical advisor. You're in Berlin. You do suddenly have that like, kind of like big club, big city vibe. That does make sense. And you have money to spend. Also that. Right. That, that never hurts. Right. That never hurts.
1: <laughs> and um, possibly a new stadium on the horizon as well, because the Olympiastadion, as beautiful as it is, it's a, it's a great venue um, if you ever have the chance, Tyler, to go mm-hmm. to a cup final, it's absolutely amazing. It's 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 a Super Bowl stadium, right? Mm-hmm. It's not so great for your regular league game. It holds seventy five thousand Hertha The average about fifty thousand. You know they fill it out when Dortmund comes, when Bayern comes, uh, the derby against Union. But all of a sudden, you have twenty-five thousand empty seats in a very big facility. We're talking a, a massive stadium. You know, this is a stadium that was that was built by the Nazis, right? It's triumphant, massive. It's like it's huge, um, but it's just not good for Hertha. So they need something more compact, a little bit smaller. Yeah. I feel and, like you probably that,
0: don't want to play in the Nazi stadium if at all possible. No,
1: well, I mean it's it's has been renovated since. <laughs> yeah. since like, you know the 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 World Cup final was held there in two thousand six. But it it is, it is just a huge facility. Like the entire, everything around that stadium is just massive, right? Um, I I have worked there many, many times and I always enjoy working there. But if it's for a league game, it's, it can be, I mean, especially in December, um, that, that wind blows through there. It's just cold, right? And there's 35 to 40,000 people in there. So you just see massive areas of the stadium being empty. And it's still a big crowd. Mm-hmm. Forty thousand people is good for, yeah. for you know. That if you average that, hey, congrats, that's 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 incredible. But <laughs> if you're in a stadium with seventy-five thousand, then that's maybe not so nice.
0: Yeah, it doesn't quite look as good. So we'll see yeah. what happens with Hertha. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Manuel, because you've been so generous so far. But I I did want to ask you briefly about uh, the German national team because we had the mm-hmm. draw uh, for the Euros. Um, Germany have found themselves in a group with Portugal in France, uh, and then probably a very small team as well once that qualification is complete. A lot of people were speculating on how, like, oh, this is going to be ridiculous, like none of these teams are going to make it out, or all these teams are going to make it out, or how is this going to work out? I think you had the most common sense uh, analysis of this one I saw, which was basically they'll beat the small team, they'll get a draw, they'll go through, it'll be fine.
1: Yeah, I think that actually all three teams will go through. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the, the, you know, uh,
1: I have so many issues with Euro 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that some fans have to travel halfway across the continent is just mind blowingly yep. dumb. Um, they ruined this tournament. And the format of the tournament is ridiculous. You know, a 24 team tournament. Half of Europe gets to qualify. Um, this should be the group of death, but really it isn't, because we know that Germany will draw properly. Portugal, maybe even beat one of the two big ones, right? Then they will definitely beat the little team, um, and then they will be through. Because what is it? Four out of six third place teams go through. Um, uh, Portugal, yeah, so. Portugal yeah. won the Euros four years ago um, I after about three that. draws in the group <laughs> yeah, they stage. Did. They didn't. They didn't win a game I in regulation time that. until the semifinal. Oh my god! <laughs> I think that's ridiculous. That should not be allowed.
0: <laughs> I totally forgot about not,
1: that. You should not be able to win the European Championship by basically drawing six out of seven games.
0: Yeah, that's a fair. That's a fair opinion. So, so you're right. The That yeah. tournament is
1: ruined. Um, so yeah, Germany will be just fine. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I have no doubts about it. They. UEFA did really nicely to ensure that all the big teams will make it to the round of 16. Congrats to them. Um, <laughs> that's so, where the money is. That's where the money is, right? And then they probably face... Um, I heard they could face Croatia mm-hmm. or England if they finish third. I don't actually think they finish third because Germany has been getting a lot of bad press since the 2018 World Cup, mm-hmm. a tournament where they did very poorly with a side that should probably have won it. Uh, that's you know, the first time in, since, I, since I followed this team, and this is an entire lifetime, Germany went into a tournament where everyone thought, actually the only comparable one is 1994, where everyone also thought they were gonna win it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was where the two tournaments, they essentially messed up, because usually Germany goes into a tournament and everyone kind of forgets that they exist, And then they pop up in the final out of nowhere. Um, That's the Germany I grew up with. They are a tournament team. And I suspect now that no one really has them on the radar, they will actually do quite well at the Euros. And the side is a lot better than people make them out to be. Um, They finished first in the qualification group with a very good Dutch side in it. right? Um, Unlike the Dutch, they did not slip up against Northern Ireland. Yes, they lost one of the two games against um, the Netherlands, but they also beat the Netherlands in Amsterdam, which is very difficult. So I think the site will be just okay.
0: There was some speculation, not some speculation, but like in in that 2018 uh, tournament, there was some talk that like there were, it was a more divided locker room than Germany had experienced previously, Mm -hmm. or at least recently, that there was some frustration with Lee Rosana not being there. And there was like Mesut Ozil drama. Uh, Where are we on like the drama scale with Germany right now? Is it a more unified locker room? Do you still have different cliques and different groups? Uh, Where are we in terms of how they're going to kind of be as a unit heading into the Euros?
1: I think it's no incident that certain players were cut in March, Um, you know, widely reported. I was in Russia in 2018 and um, the stories that emerged from that camp, you know, especially uh, that game in Kazan where, you know, I've never seen a more frustrating Germany uh, game in my entire life um, then the defeat to Korea mm-hmm. in Kazan, and um, that was I a game they kind ch- of forgot that have happened. Won. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Should have actually won that game. You know, we all look back at it and like, yeah, Germany went out. Um, but we also all remember that they had, I think, seventy five percent possession. Mats Hummels hit the post at one point. Uh, Goretzka missed an chance. Those balls would have gone in in the past. This time they didn't, and then they went out. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's as simple as that. Um, and then in, I think in the round of 16, they would have faced a very beatable Brazil side because Brazil weren't really that good either. I think it's, it comes down to really small margins and then, you know, were things good at the Germany camp? No, absolutely not. I I think it came down to the fact that they missed out on being in Sochi. Uh, where they were for the confederations Cup a tournament where they were very good at i was at I was at the Comfort cup as well, actually the summer prior, and Germany were uh um, very solid throughout the tournament which is essentially the c side right um it wasn't even the b side because they had to split the b team between the team that won the european championships the u twenty one European championships, and the one that won the comfort cup so this was not an issue of talent right. And they still have a very, very, very talented side. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that people kind of forget. You know, two years ago, that team won the CONFIT Cup and the European U21 Championships in the same year, right? That's only two years ago. Those players are all still in the early 20s. Um, that side didn't all of a sudden... Go from being very good to, oh, we're a team that will not even compete at the European Championships. But by the way, we easily won our European Championship qualification group. But don't put us alone the list of favorites because we're not. <laughs> I, you know, it just doesn't quite add up. <laughs> but I think that also shows that there was a lot of inner squad issues with this team. And I think that's really what undid them.
0: All right. So Germany definitely going to win the 2020 Euros. You heard it here first from Manuel. Thank you, Manuel. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, (laughs)
1: I think they're going to be, as always, among the teams that will compete for it.
0: All right. That makes sense. Well, uh, we'll have to have you back on to uh, preview some Euros, maybe uh, a little bit uh, like after the winter break to talk more Bundesliga as well. Uh, But I don't want to take up any more of your time. You've been incredibly generous, I think, uh, as is my... Tradition, I think I initially proposed thirty minutes, then maybe forty minutes, and here we are at about an hour. So um, it's that
1: long? Oh, I, 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 I enjoyed, so. enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> That's good. That's always the positive side. But Manuel, I really appreciate it. Um, I found it fascinating. I think, uh, as usual, I had like a decent number of questions written down, and I now have two and a half pages of notes and questions because uh, you were excellent. So thank you very much for all the knowledge and for making sense of the Bundesliga.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on.